As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello there. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach nursing concepts and share tips to help nurses and nursing students thrive. So before we dive into today's topic about sickle cell disease, I want to remind you to hang around to the very end because I'm going to be doing some pod quizzing to test your understanding. And of course, I do like to take a quick minute for our listener shout out. And this one goes out to Caitlin, who writes this. Hello, I wanted to share a small win. I am in my first semester of nursing school and had my first exam yesterday. I have been listening to Nurse Mo's podcast since last spring and purchased boot camp. Along with the podcasts and studying, I have been taking practice NCLEX style questions every day. I told myself that as long as I made the minimum passing exam score, I would be okay. Well, I got my exam results. I made 96 out of 100. I cried a little from relief and happiness. Way to go, Caitlin. I'm so, so proud of you. The prep that you did before you started your program by coming into boot camp and getting ready played a huge role in your success because how do I know that? I've seen it happen with so, so many other students. The other thing you did that I'm so proud of is that you did those NCLEX practice questions that I'm always encouraging students to do. And I really liked your attitude. You went in there, you knew that you may not get an A, you were aiming to do your very best, but you told yourself, if I just pass, I'm okay with it. And you know what? That's perfect. That really lowers some of that test anxiety and helps you just focus on what's most important, which is learning the material. So I'm so, so proud of you, Caitlin, and thank you so much for sharing your story of nursing school success. All right, are you ready to dive into sickle cell disease? So sickle cell disease is one of the most common inherited hematologic disorders. So in sickle cell disease, hemoglobin A is either partially or completely replaced with defective hemoglobin called hemoglobin S. And the condition is characterized by abnormally shaped red blood cells that can't effectively carry oxygen to the tissues. So in a healthy individual, red blood cells are round and flexible so they can fit through those tiny capillaries easily. But in sickle cell disease, the cell is crescent-shaped or sickle-shaped. It's also rigid and kind of sticky. So the result is that these abnormal cells can way more easily get lodged in the small blood vessels, leading to microvascular occlusions, really, really intense pain, 
tissue ischemia, and organ damage. When this occurs, it's called a vasoocclusive crisis. And we'll talk a little bit more about the different types of crisis in sickle cell disease in just a moment. And when a patient has repeated or continued serious episodes of this type of crisis, it can ultimately lead to organ failure. So let's talk a little bit about kind of the four crises of sickle cell crisis. So when a patient has an exacerbation of sickle cell disease, they are in what is called a sickle cell crisis. And there are essentially four subtypes. So I mentioned briefly vaso-occlusive crisis. This is a common occurrence in those with sickle cell disease. So a vaso-occlusive crisis involves blockages in the microvasculature leading to ischemia and infarction. Very, very common, very, very painful. There's also hyperhemolytic crisis. This occurs when there is a rapid destruction of red blood cells. And then there's splenic sequestration. This very serious crisis episode is caused by clumping and pooling of blood in the spleen. And we'll talk a little bit more about the spleen in just a moment. And then we have a plastic crisis. And this crisis is often triggered by folic acid depletion or a viral infection and involves reduced production of red blood cells occurring along with greater destruction of red blood cells. So you you can imagine this patient is getting anemic very quickly and very severely. So how else does sickle cell disease affect different systems in the body? So the manifestations and complications of sickle cell disease are pretty widespread and essentially can affect any organ, any tissue. So let's talk a little bit about some of the key ones. So looking at the hematologic system, the lifespan of a sickled cell is much shorter than that of a healthy cell. And the spleen is going to break them down with more frequency. So this leads to that severe hemolytic anemia that's kind of the hallmark of sickle cell disease. So patients often, often anemic when they have this condition. And then looking at the spleen, which I mentioned a moment ago, over time, the spleen's going to suffer a lot of damage, right? So as the sickled cells cause infarctions in the spleen, scarring and fibrosis are going to occur. And what this eventually does is it leads to the spleen becoming non-functional, So that's one way that the spleen gets involved. And then additionally, we have that splenic sequestration. So those sickle-shaped cells get stuck in that splenic pulp, which leads to severe anemia and a rapidly enlarging spleen in a condition, again, called splenic sequestration. Many patients with sickle cell disease will ultimately undergo a splenectomy. Now let's take a look at pulmonary. So a very common acute pulmonary condition that can affect patients with sickle cell disease is acute chest syndrome. And it is a leading cause of death and hospitalization in this patient population. So it's defined as a new opacity or radiodensity on a chest X-ray that occurs with respiratory symptoms and with fever. In children, it's often triggered by infection, and in adults, it tends to be more likely to be triggered by vaso-occlusive events or a pulmonary embolism. So that's acute chest syndrome. Pulmonary hypertension 
is another pulmonary complication, and it affects approximately 10% of patients with sickle cell disease. The pathogenesis of how this occurs is not fully known, but it is thought to be due in part to endothelial damage from recurrent sickling. Other pulmonary complications of sickle cell disease include pulmonary embolism, chronic dyspnea, pulmonary fibrosis, sleep apnea, and asthma. Now let's look at cardiovascular. Patients with sickle cell disease can develop cardiovascular complications, including cardiomyopathy, diastolic dysfunction, sudden cardiac death, and thrombosis. Now let's look at renal. Sickle cell nephropathy is a group of renal abnormalities that collectively cause renal dysfunction and can lead to chronic kidney disease and even renal failure. Some patients will even require dialysis or a kidney transplant. So that's called sickle cell nephropathy. And then what about neurologically? Patients with sickle cell disease are at much, much higher risk for stroke. While stroke affects individuals with sickle cell of all ages, it is the most common cause of stroke in childhood. So sickle cell disease is the most common cause of stroke in childhood. But of course, an adult with sickle cell could have a stroke as well. One study found that the median age of onset for cerebral infarction was just 14 years of age, and the median age of onset for intracranial hemorrhage was just 30 years of age. And then let's look at some other GI complications or involvement. So aside from the spleen, other organs of the gastrointestinal system can be affected, and this can include ischemic colitis. The patient could have liver infarctions, acute sickle hepatic crisis, which is a pain crisis in the liver, and cholelithiasis. And then a few other things are things like vision loss, because we're not getting good blood flow to the vasculature in the eye, painful leg ulcers that are very difficult to treat, avascular necrosis, which is death of bone tissue that most commonly affects the hip joint. They are also prone to frequent infections, priapism can occur in the male patients, and of course, the severe pain associated with that vaso-occlusive crisis. And then let's just talk very briefly about life expectancy. Though early newborn screenings have played a really big role in increasing life expectancy for individuals with sickle cell, the median life expectancy remains low at just 54 years. So who's most at risk for sickle cell disease? As an autosomal recessive genetic disorder, I was hoping I'd said that right, autosomal recessive genetic disorder, both parents must carry the sickle cell gene in order for the trait to be manifested in their children. It is most common in individuals of African, Mediterranean, and Middle Eastern descent. A 2020 study that I saw revealed that it's about 8% of African Americans who possess the gene for sickle cell disease. So that's quite a high number. So now that you have a basic understanding of sickle cell disease, it's time to review the nursing implications using the straight A nursing latte method. So we're going to start with the letter L. How does the patient look? 
So a patient in sickle cell crisis will have varying symptoms, depending, of course, on what type of crisis they are experiencing and which organ systems are involved. So in vasoocclusive crisis, which is that most common clinical manifestation of sickle cell disease, the patient will complain of unrelenting pain, usually that's abdominal pain, as well as swollen and painful hands, painful feet, and painful joints. Common signs in hyperhemolytic crisis include anemia, reticulocytosis, which is increased numbers of immature red blood cells, and jaundice. With splenic sequestration, the patient may show signs of significant anemia, hypovolemia, and even shock. And a patient in a plastic crisis will have significant anemia, weakness that goes with that, and even pallor. So other signs and symptoms of sickle cell disease, again, will vary based on the organ system affected and the severity of the condition. So this can include things like chest pain, tachypnea, shortness of breath, cough, and respiratory distress when the patient is having that acute chest syndrome. Now note that acute chest syndrome can be fatal in and of itself. Now an enlarged liver or spleen or both may be present. Now, over time, as the splenic tissue becomes scarred, the organ reduces inside and may ultimately be impalpable. But if there's that sequestration going on, then again, the patient may have that splenomegaly. Jaundice may be present in cases of hepatic impairment. The patient is also likely to complain of fatigue and have exercise intolerance because they've got chronic anemia. They've got cases of acute anemia on top of that. They may have swollen hands and feet due to blockages in blood vessels of the periphery. They could have reduced visual acuity, frequent infections. Another common symptom is chronic dyspnea. Again, swollen and painful joints. They may even have ulcers on the leg. These are often very difficult to treat, and children will often show delayed growth as well as delayed puberty. So wide, wide range of signs and symptoms. Now note that children under six months of age typically do not show any symptoms due to the large amount of fetal hemoglobin that is present for those first few months of life. The symptoms start showing after that fetal hemoglobin is no longer in circulation, and then that S hemoglobin is really presenting itself. So now let's look at the next letter in the latte method, which is A for assess. How do you assess the patient? Since patients are typically hospitalized during a vasoocclusive episode, a pain assessment, a very thorough pain assessment is going to be a vital component of your plan of care. In addition to doing that and obtaining a full set of vital signs, you'll be tailoring your assessments to whatever the patient's actual focused problems are. For example, if they're having any kind of pulmonary involvement, you're, of course, doing a very careful pulmonary assessment. Now, let's talk about some things that you would probably assess on everyone with sickle cell disease who's come into your facility with a vasoocclusive crisis. You'll be doing a complete neurological assessment. Again, patients with sickle cell disease are at much higher risk for stroke. 
You'll also be tracking intake and output and monitoring for signs of fluid overload, secondary to renal impairment, which remember, a lot of times patients with sickle cell disease have that renal impairment, and they can also have heart failure, which would lead to signs of fluid overload. Assess urine output and make note of things like hematuria or foamy urine, which would be a sign of proteinuria and problems within the kidney. And again, your patient may have that acute chest syndrome. Monitor their respiratory status. You're going to be looking at things like listening to their lungs. You're going to be looking at their SpO2, observing their work of breathing, inquiring about chest pain, and watching for respiratory distress. They may also have pulmonary edema from fluid overload. So you'll be listening to their lungs, all those same things, right? Listening to lungs, monitoring SpO2, observe work of breathing, ask them about their shortness of breath and looking very closely for signs of respiratory distress. Tachypnea, increased work of breathing, the patient stating that they're having difficulty breathing, dropping O2 sats, things like that. Nurse Mo here. Are you tired of sitting at your desk, studying for exams or the NCLEX? What would it feel like to get a bit of your life back so you could get up from your desk, go for a run, do things around the house, take care of errands, or even just take the dog out for a walk? Bet you can't because you need to study. Or can you? With Study Sesh, you will use auditory formats to the max to accelerate your learning, free yourself from your desk, and get your life back. Study Sesh is more than just a podcast. It's a form of highly effective auditory learning that is so much more than listening. Study Sesh involves thinking, analyzing, and even responding. This keeps your brain highly engaged in a way that doesn't involve reading or staring at a screen. Stephanie says, the audio flashcards are a total game changer. I am hooked. And Amy says, it forces me to use my recall of information and critical thinking without the option of choosing from four answers. The drills are brilliant, again, forcing me to fully understand the information. And Kara says, I thought I loved the regular Straight A Nursing podcast, but Study Sesh is on a whole other level. Combined, they provide excellent study material, and I feel like I've struck audiovisual learning gold. Study Sesh includes over 100 study sessions in four formats. Most are the highly popular pod quizzes, and the others are in case study format, power hours, and drills. Plus, more in-depth topics come with study guides. Want to free yourself from your desk while you study for exams or the NCLEX? Enroll in Study Sesh today. Go to straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh to learn more. That's straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. I can't wait to be your study buddy. Now let's move on to the next letter in the latte method, which is a T, and that stands for tests, what tests will be conducted for your patient. So in the United States, the most important test is mandatory early screening of newborns. We can also test in utero for those who are at especially high risk via amniocentesis or chorionic villus sampling. 
And then when we're looking at screening tests for sickle cell disease, there's quite a few that could be conducted. And these include a sickle turbidity test, also called hemoglobin solubility. This is conducted via a finger stick and is a pretty quick test, but it may yield a false positive result. So it's not used all on its own for diagnosis. A stained blood smear will show that sickled cell. Hemoglobin electrophoresis shows the presence of hemoglobin S. And then a CBC with reticulocyte count would show if anemia is present and if there are a large number of immature red blood cells or reticulocytes. And then some other kind of ongoing tests for a patient with sickle cell disease can include routine CBCs to assess for both anemia and evidence or signs of infection. Because renal impairment is so common, urinalysis, BUN, and creatinine will be monitored in these patients. That, again, is that sickle cell nephropathy. Electrolytes may be abnormal. So let's look at those, especially in cases of renal impairment. Liver function tests will be abnormal in patients with hepatic involvement, as would things like bilirubin. So you're looking at AST, ALT, those types of things, and bilirubin. Chest x-ray and arterial blood gas will be utilized to evaluate acute chest syndrome or if the patient's having a pulmonary embolism. Echocardiogram will be utilized to evaluate a patient with heart failure. And then MRI scans may be utilized to diagnose a vascular necrosis. And then ophthalmological exams will be performed in patients with decreased visual acuity and can reveal corkscrew-shaped vessels. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. There are obviously quite a few other tests that would be conducted. Again, they're going to depend on the patient's individual organ involvement and presentation. Now let's talk about the next letter in the latte method, which is a T for treatments. What are we going to do for these patients? So treatment for vaso-occlusive crisis includes IV fluids to flush out occlusions, make the blood less viscous, and improve blood flow. When we improve blood flow, we improve delivery of oxygen to the tissues. The patient is also going to be in a significant amount of pain, so we're definitely using pain medication. Usually, this is IV pain medication. The PO stuff just isn't going to cut it with the level of pain these patients have. It is one of the most painful conditions. If you have a patient with sickle cell disease, it will probably be one of the most painful situations you'll ever witness. They may also need blood transfusions because of the anemia and oxygen therapy as well. 
And then there are pharmacological treatments that are aimed at decreasing hemolysis and the frequency of crisis events. So some key medications, and this will be a real test of my ability to pronounce drug names, which as you know, if you've listened to me for more than a few episodes, you know, it's something that man, I I really work hard at, but also flub quite a bit. So I'm going to rehearse these and then come back. So there are four of them. One is hydroxyurea, voxelator, L-glutamine, and crizanlizumab. That last one almost got me. Okay, so let's talk about hydroxyurea first. So this is an anti-neoplastic agent that is taken by mouth, and it helps reduce sickling of the cell. A very common side effect of this medication is leukopenia or a low white blood cell count. So watch your patient carefully for signs of infection. Next is voxelator, and this medication is a hemoglobin S polymerization inhibitor that binds to hemoglobin S and improves its affinity for oxygen, which in turn reduces sickling and improves blood viscosity. Some common adverse effects include headache, fatigue, fever, and a bunch of GI stuff, nausea, diarrhea, abdominal pain, as well as rash. And then L-glutamine is a naturally occurring amino acid. Though the mechanism of action of why this works is not fully understood, studies show it can reduce the frequency of vaso-occlusive crisis. And then crizanlizumab is a monoclonal antibody that is administered IV. Some common adverse effects include fever, joint pain, back pain, abdominal pain, and nausea. Another treatment is folic acid supplementation. This is utilized to replace folate that is depleted by the increased erythropoiesis that occurs in sickle cell disease and thereby reducing folic acid deficiency anemia. And then blood transfusions, which I mentioned briefly earlier, will be utilized as needed to address anemia. But note that frequent blood transfusions can cause iron levels to increase, which causes patients with sickle cell disease to have more painful episodes and greater risk for organ failure. So iron chelation therapy may be utilized to remove excess iron from the body. Splenectomy may be a treatment that is necessary in patients experiencing splenic sequestration crisis, splenomegaly, and splenic infarction. And then patients with avascular necrosis of that femoral head may undergo hemiarthroplasty. Pneumococcal vaccines are administered to prevent infection. That is a key treatment. And then in children, they're going to get prophylactic antibiotics. I believe it's typically prophylactic penicillin until they receive all of their pneumococcal vaccinations or until they're age five, whichever one of those is later. And then finally, bone marrow transplant. This is the only available treatment that can essentially cure sickle cell disease, though it definitely comes with its own host of risks. If you want to learn more about bone marrow transplant, then go and listen to episode 279 after you finish this one. 
Now let's talk about the last letter in the latte method, which is E. How do you educate the patient? How do you educate the family? So because sickle cell disease is a chronic lifelong condition, the amount of patient and family teaching is extensive. Many, many times your teaching will focus on what the patient is experiencing with a specific problem at that time, but some general overall teaching points are going to basically apply to everyone. So these include things like teaching patients, teaching parents that triggers for a vaso-occlusive crisis can vary from person to person and to avoid anything that has triggered a crisis in the past because that's probably their unique trigger. Generally, a trigger is going to be things that put stress on the body. This could be infection and illness, dehydration, exposure to cold, pregnancy, physical exertion, and even emotional stress. You also want to teach about the importance of regular vaccinations to prevent illness and that patients with sickle cell disease are at higher risk for infection. So while you're at it, you're teaching basic infection prevention strategies. You want to encourage the patient to avoid dehydration. Again, that could be a trigger because this increases blood viscosity and can trigger that crisis. So teach them to stay hydrated. Teach the patient to avoid substances that cause vasoconstriction, such as nicotine, caffeine, and stimulants. And you also want to educate the patient on their medications. So there are a lot of teaching points with the four medications I mentioned earlier. I'm going to share just one or two from each one. So for hydroxyurea, this medication will make the individual more prone to infection. So again, you're teaching those infection prevention strategies. And because this medication can cause thrombocytopenia, instruct patients to use a soft toothbrush and an electric razor to decrease the risk of bleeding. Advise female patients to discuss plans for pregnancy and breastfeeding with their physician as this medication causes fetal harm. They may even need to use contraception for a full year after discontinuing it. Additionally, this medication can cause male infertility too. Some key teaching for Voxelator is to advise female patients to notify their MD if pregnancy is planned or even suspected. They should also avoid breastfeeding while taking this medication and for two weeks after the last dose. So again, another medication that can harm the fetus and the baby. Key teaching for L-glutamine is to mix the amino acids with eight ounces of water and have this every two to three hours while awake and with a meal or a snack. And then for crizanlibumab, this medication can also cause fetal harm. So advise female patients to discuss pregnancy and breastfeeding plans with their physician. You want to also ensure that family members understand the importance of seeking immediate medical care if any neurological symptoms arise, again, because of that high risk for stroke, and encourage the patient and the family to seek help when experiencing increased shortness of breath, unusual vital signs, increased pain, increased fever, things that could be a sign that they're going into a crisis. 
So I hope this overview of sickle cell disease increases your understanding of this condition. Let's go into a little bit of a quiz mode to test your understanding. So if you've not done a pod quiz with me before, I'm going to ask a question and then pause a moment to give you time to answer. And then I'll tell you the answer. Ready to get started? Okay, let's dive in. What are the three characteristics of the abnormal cell that make it so high risk for causing occlusion? So those were its shape. It's got that weird sickle shape. It's also more rigid than a healthy cell. And it's also a little bit sticky. Very, very good. What type of crisis is this? A serious complication that is caused by clumping and pooling of blood in the spleen. That is splenic sequestration. What type of crisis is this? This occurs when there is folic acid depletion or a viral infection, and the production of red blood cells is reduced while the destruction is increased. That is aplastic crisis. And then which type of crisis is this? This crisis occurs when there is a rapid destruction of red blood cells. That is hyperhemolytic crisis. Awesome. And then this one is a common occurrence in people with sickle cell disease. And it involves blockages in the microvasculature that lead to ischemia and infarction. What is that called? That is vasoocclusive crisis. Very, very good. What is the name of the pulmonary condition that is a leading cause of death and hospitalization in patients with sickle cell disease? That was acute chest syndrome. What is the name of the chronic kidney condition that individuals with sickle cell disease most likely have? Sickle cell nephropathy. And again, that was a group of renal abnormalities that collectively cause renal dysfunction. What is most likely to be the most significant thing that you'll notice or the most significant symptom of a patient in vaso-occlusive crisis? Absolutely unrelenting and severe pain. Very good. Which test did I mention that will show the presence of hemoglobin S? That was hemoglobin electrophoresis. And which test is quick, but might show a false positive result. So we can't rely on it alone for diagnosis. That was the sickle turbidity test, also called hemoglobin solubility. I mentioned a four 
four-part process or four-part plan for treating a patient in vaso-occlusive crisis. What were those four elements? Those were IV fluids, pain medication, blood transfusions, and oxygen therapy. Which of the medications that were mentioned is going to be likely to cause alopecia? That is hydroxyurea. And you know, I never mentioned alopecia, right? But I did mention that it is an anti-neoplastic agent. And this is a great example of how your nursing school exams are going to make you think about things kind of through a few different steps. You're going to have to go from step A to step B to step C in order to answer the question. So I didn't say anything about alopecia when I talked to you about hydroxyurea. But since I mentioned it is an anti-neoplastic agent, you would need to know that anti-neoplastic agents cause alopecia. And then you could answer a test question that's coming at you in that direction. In addition to the amino acid glutamine, what other supplement might your patient be taking? Folic acid. And you've got a patient whose iron levels are very high. Why is this concerning? Elevated iron levels can cause organ damage, and your patient is at higher risk for more painful episodes. So what will be the treatment for a patient whose iron levels are too high because they're getting those frequent blood transfusions? That is called chelation therapy. Okay, you did great with that pod quiz. And if you didn't know all of them, that's okay. Just go back and listen to this episode again, and I guarantee you'll be able to answer all those questions. No problem. And you'll answer them on exams, and you'll recognize those things in real life in the clinical setting. Now, if you found that helpful, if you like that pod quizzing, I've got a whole podcast called Study Sesh. I've talked about it here a few times. That is about, I would say, 95% of the lessons are 100% pod quiz questions covering a whole bunch of topics in med surge and OB and mental health and fundamentals. It really, it really goes across the board. So I will put a link to that in the episode notes, or you can just go to the straightanursingstudent.com website, click on courses in the top menu bar. It'll take you to a page where you can easily click on study sesh to learn more about it so that you can figure out how you could study while you're on the go, because I don't know about you, but I hate sitting at my desk all day long. So I hope you found this episode helpful. I will see you back here next week. We're going to be hopping into a pediatric topic looking at whooping cough. And I believe I have a little special treat for you with that. I've got to verify a couple of little details, but I think I've got a very special little treat for you with that. So I hope to see you back here next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.
Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.